Welcome to another episode at Empower Apps. I'm your host, Leo Dion. Today, I'm joined by Jared Sorge. Hey, Jared, how's it going? It's going pretty well. How are you, Leo? Good. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm really excited to have a fellow podcaster. Jared, you host the Xcoders podcast. What else do you do right now? My day job is at Zulily. I'm in the Seattle area, and that's where Zulily is based. Zulily is an online retailer. And I'm an iOS engineer on what they call the core site and apps squad, which is uh, basically an infrastructure team that sits below all of our feature teams to help them get their jobs done um, more efficiently. And I get to work on fun stuff like tooling and architecture and automation and, and a lot of cool stuff like that. So we were chatting uh, previously because you had a recent speaker that was also a guest, uh, Malin on, talking about uh, mm-hmm. her experience with Swift UI. And yeah. uh, then we got started talking about automation. I was like, ooh, automation. That's <laughs> that's my thing. Um, and we've had, we've had guests on the show like talk about continuous integration, things like that. But some of the stuff with like, well, we'll talk about today. I think mm-hmm. we're both really passionate about what – we're all developers are kind of interested in automation at some point, right? But what what do you think automation helps with when it comes to like your typical iOS development team? I think it can help you in your day-to-day workflow. Like one example is that before Zulily, I worked at Lyft. And on the first day at Lyft, they told me that they don't check in Xcode projects. And that like blew my mind. And what they did was they used a tool to generate those Xcode projects from manifest files. And that enabled a lot of flexibility in how you built the project. One thing that that I've come to really like about this method is like when you go and add a new target in Xcode itself, there's a lot of extra files and it's like set up the way Xcode wants it to be set up, not the way that makes necessarily makes sense for your project. And adding some tooling on top of Xcode to suit the needs of your team or your project really can make uh, development go faster. I implemented this actually at Zulily a couple months ago where we are now generating our project programmatically. And the amount of merge conflicts that we have is basically none because the project file would be the big source of churn. And we'd have developers spending hours debugging merge conflicts between where was the main branch and their feature branch. And that just goes away. So this automation and tooling can really help reduce the amount of friction in in the workflows of our developers. And that's a lot of fun to see. Yeah, like Xcode projects are probably, besides storyboards, the biggest merge conflict issue folks deal with. Mm -hmm. So what tooling did they use for generating that based on a manifest? At Lyft, I was introduced to Xcode Gen, and I still use that on some of my personal projects. But at Zulily, I actually went with Tuist, which is it's a slightly different philosophy than the Xcode Gen. Actually, it's quite a bit different, if I'm, if I'm being honest, um, because these Tuist manifests are all done in Swift. So it's much more akin to like defining a Swift package uh, manifest like you do in Swift Package Manager. But they give you a a module that you can fill out your own helper functions and methods. So you can add a lot of niceties to your interfaces for how you actually create. They call them micro features. We're using the term modules. But it it gives us the ability to really define and narrow down how these things are created to make it a lot easier for our developers. So Xcode Gen is typically YAML-based, right? Yeah, YAML or JSON. And I'm more familiar with Xcode Gen and actually one of the current 
clients I'm using, they're using Tuist. Mm-hmm. How would you decide, like, it sounds like in your personal projects, you're using Xcode gen. How do you come to that decision that, oh, in this case, Xcode gen is good, but in this case, Tuist might be better? The big thing for us at Zulily that at least led me down the Tuist path was support for test plans. We had implemented test plans in our iOS project probably a couple months prior. And Xcogen, at least when we were looking at it, didn't yet support test plans. And I didn't want to just abandon them to do project generation. But Tuist does support them and they support them really well. So that was the main thing that led me down that path. And then as I started learning more about Tuist and some of its extra features, it has stuff like building new modules or or micro features right in. So you can define your own templates. Uh, I think they call them stencils. Okay. But like it makes that super easy. And stuff that at Lyft was previously bolted on as extra tooling is kind of built into Tuist, which is really nice. They also have a feature called Focus, which... I don't know if Lyft made that as part of Bazel or if it's part of Bazel that Lyft adopted. But the idea is that you would make your project focused on one or N number of modules. And the tooling would put together a project that has just those in the project and pre-compile everything down below. So you're focused really just on the stuff that you care about. And everything else builds super fast. And it's really nice. That's awesome. Yeah, because I think that's one of the things when you get to a larger company where being able to get faster builds like that are, you know, make it a lot easier. Hey, folks, I want to let you know about Swift Heroes Digital 2021 happening this year, Friday, April 16th. Swift Heroes Digital is a one day event for developers, designers and project managers at all levels of experience with Swift platform. This year, not only will I be speaking on Swift packages, dependency management of the future, but previous guests like Donnie Walls will be talking about core data, as well as Vincent Perday will be talking more about async await. You'll definitely want to check this conference out. For listeners of the show, you can use the special discount code in the show notes to get 20% off your ticket. That's right. Use the discount code in the show notes to get 20% off your Swift Heroes ticket for Swift Heroes Digital 2021. These tickets not only include on-the-day live presentations, but continued on-demand access after the event. So if there's any questions you have about any of the talks, you'll definitely want to get a ticket so you can ask those questions live for the presenters. Check out the agenda at swiftheroes.com to see the schedule and learn more about what events and talks are going on. Again, use the discount code to get 20% off your Swift Heroes ticket. Thank you, Swift Heroes, for inviting me to speak at this exciting event. And I'm looking forward to talking as well as listening to the other speakers at Swift Heroes Digital 2021. So we talked kind of about the front end, just not the front end, but the beginning part of creating that Xcode project. How about when it comes to like testing, what tools do you use to automate that? Uh, Well, I mentioned we use test plans and that kind of stitches together different scenarios. Like we have our pre-merge request test plan that we run before we create our merge requests, run GitLab. So it's all merge requests, not pull requests. And you can set up different scenarios that way. As far as other automation pieces that we have, we do use Fastlane for making new builds, for making betas and submitting to the App Store and that kind of thing. We use, for continuous integration, we have Jenkins set up, which I'm still learning about and isn't my favorite. I think we're going to be pivoting to GitLab CI here in the next month or so. That's a project I get to to take on. 
those are those are like the main things uh, that we use for for automation at Zulily. Yeah, I just I've you know known Fastlane for years since I was an iOS developer and first starting out, but I was actually able to use it with the recent release of Hardtwitch because they just supported uh, independent watch apps now hmm. and hooking that up to GitLab CI. And it was like so awesome to be able to like just automate that part of posting it to the app store without having to deal with like all sorts of manual issues that can come up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All, all of our stuff is is stitched together like in make files. So we have a make file that has all of our commands that we want to run. So it's like make release that will run the fast lane stuff. And in Jenkins, I've taken the time to actually extract out like the big long scripts that we might have had set up before and have that be really one make command. So that way we can run them locally on our machines and have the same environment locally on development as in our CI environment. Plus, eventually, when we do get away from Jenkins, we can move something to something else. And it's really simple to recreate those those commands in whatever manifest GitLab CI will use. Have you started working with GitLab CI? Uh, not yet. No. OK. OK. How was your experience with it, Ben? Yeah. So I really like it. And I think like. Well, it was first Travis, but Travis has had its issues recently. I don't know if you've used Travis, but I do a lot of stuff with Swift Package Manager and like BitRise and CircleCI isn't really a good fit for that as far as where I'm at. So then I tend to use GitHub Actions quite a bit because it's free. It works on open source public repos Mm -hmm. and it worked great. But then I have some private projects and then that's where GitLab CI just worked perfectly. And what I really like about it is, uh, you know, I just bought a brand new MacBook Air and one MacBook Air. Mm-hmm. And so now I could take my old MacBook Pro and hook that up to GitLab CI and run it on there. And it's free, basically. So now I have my own little CI machine I could use to uh, publish apps. And yeah, it's really, really powerful. GitLab, uh, I cannot totally see why a lot of companies have moved a lot of their code over to GitLab because um, it's just so powerful. Yeah. You could do something similar with GitHub as well. I know there's the actions runner that you can put on a Mac and hook that up to GitHub. I've started down that process a little bit, but every time I start doing something like that on on the side, it I find that I get distracted from the thing I'm actually trying to do. So I'm like, no, I get to keep focused on like the app I'm trying to ship as opposed to the tooling that sounds like a lot of fun to, to build up around it. <laughs> Otherwise, I'll never ship anything. <laughs> Yeah. Well, that that brings up a really good point, because I think like if there's anything us developers can run into is like over automating everything (laughs) and like, how do you draw that line? How do you are you like, okay, like I need to be careful because I'm trying to spend way too much time automating this and i'm spending hours automating it for something that honestly manually would only take me like a few minutes to do every so often yeah it's definitely something that i don't realize up front it's only after i've spent a bunch of time into something that i'm like should i really be doing this in the first place uh one one example that recently comes to mind on a side project that i'm working on i'm working on a new app that's mac and ios and i want to distribute betas for ios we have test flight. Test flight's awesome. It's so good. On the Mac, we have nothing. We have to roll it all ourselves or like find some other like distribution method, right? And mm-hmm. so like I went to go and integrate Sparkle, 
in my app. Yes, I've used Sparkle before. Yeah, and Sparkle's really cool, but V1 only works with non-sandboxed apps, and my app was sandboxed, so I had to like go. Uh, okay. So, and and V2 has no actual official distribution yet. You like have to build it from source, as far as I could tell. And so, like trying to get through the process of automating not just building a whole other variant signed by a developer ID through Fastlane and then the notarizing process, like automating all of that is kind of a pain. I'm hoping like every year we say this and it doesn't happen. It still gets increasingly close to test flight for the Mac. Mm -hmm. Like my end goal is to dump that entire part of my code base and just use test flight for the Mac when that comes out. So, you know, probably like four or five hours into this, I'm like, I should really, instead of trying to automate everything, automate the stuff that makes sense. Like, give me the the code signing keys through Fastlane so that I can do match and all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. But I'll actually just make the build an X code like a savage uh, and <laughs> upload, <laughs> upload, and do like the like, do everything just the the X code way because that's actually just going to get me the app that I need at the end of the day. Uh, right. So I use an app, uh, Ulysses. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with it for writing. And they have a beta, and they were using uh, Microsoft App Center to distribute. Oh, interesting. Beta. Um, and there's a there's a Fastlane plugin for App Center, so that might be worth. Hmm. Sorry, now you <laughs> might like suck a lot of time into this after this recording, but that might be something to look into because that's what they use to distribute their beta was App Center. That's cool. Okay. Hmm. But yeah, do you think that they're going to come out with test flight for Mac OS? <sighs> it, it's not, I, what is the tech? What do you think the technical challenge would be for that? I, I mean, they have all the pieces in place. There's nothing that they don't have. I think that they need to build. I think they just need to have the want to. And mm. I think we've seen a lack of investment in the, like the Mac app store. On the whole, like compared to the iOS app store, it seems like every year there's some big new advancements in the iOS app store and the Mac app store might get a new coat of paint every now and then. Do you think I might go so far as to disagree? Because I think the Mac app store is pretty cool. Like there's a lot there. It's just I forget about it. Like, (laughs) I don't think it's a matter of effort. Like, I just think like, oh, right. Like there's a Mac app store. I think I've used it more and more, especially with my M1, because I want to make sure that I use stuff in the app store. But like. They have articles. They have, like, a lot of stuff. Whereas, honestly, like, the iOS app store, I barely use that, honestly. Like, it's become really hard to find stuff on there. Yeah, it it's hard to find stuff on the Mac app store, though, too. Like, the, the example I heard the other day on a podcast was someone said that they were searching for Excel. And they got an app that has Excel's icon, but it's, just like, a bunch of templates or something that they paid $10 for. They thought they were getting Excel, but they didn't get Excel. <laughs> So like stuff like that is not great. There's also a lot of big apps that just can't be in the app store. Part of that's like the sandboxing rule and that kind of thing. And I get it to a certain extent, but I think the visibility and you don't think about it, that's on Apple. That's like it seems like a sign of a lack of investment in it because the apps that you want aren't always in there. And so you're more willing to go to their website because it's still kind of the default as a Mac user. If you want to go find a new app or or download something, you go to the website of the app developer and you might buy it there. They might direct you to the app store because it's only going to be there. But on the whole, uh, I think the, the Mac app store does leave something to be desired for sure. 
but like to get back to the test flight question, I don't know that there's any missing pieces there. They just need to want to do it. Mm-hmm. I hope that the merging of well, merging is not the right word, but the unification of the the platform architectures. Now that we've got Apple Silicon and iOS apps running on the Mac, I think and I hope people are going to start expecting test flight betas on the Mac for their iOS apps, for instance, and that can just like be a carryover and lead into Mac test flight proper. That's my hope. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. So I, I'm excited for WWC. We'll see what they come up with, but that's definitely on my wish list. So I wanted to talk a little bit more about other forms of automation you might mm-hmm. use. Yeah. We talked about Fastlane and Xcode Gen. Which do you want to talk about <laughs> next? Those are the main couple things that I use on, on a day to day. I did mention, oh, you know what's really cool that I've really been liking is uh, Swift Package Manager and making Swift command line tools with Argument Parser. Have you used Swift Argument Parser yeah. before? Yeah, agreed. So good. Hey, folks, I wanted to let you know that today's episode is brought to you by App Figures. Did you know that better ratings have a direct impact on improving your app's visibility and on driving downloads? Stronger ratings signal that an app has happy users. While there are other factors, app stores tend to float these results higher in search results. As more users find your app, they are also far more likely to download it when they see social proof. Learn when to ask for ratings, as well as other tips and best practices by signing up for AppFigures weekly newsletter at appfigures.com newsletter. If you like what you see, head to appfigures.com to try AppFigures for free. Listeners of the show can get 30% off for the next three months. That's for both new and existing users using the code EMPOWER3030. Again, if you like what you see, both new and existing users can use our special code EMPOWER3030 to get 30% off for the next three months. If you're an app developer and you want to reach that audience, you'll definitely want to check AppFigures out. Thank you, AppFigures, for sponsoring this show. So like we said, you have your own podcast, Xcoders, and I'm going to be on there in uh, your next episode. And we're going to talk a little bit more about automation and how much I like Swift Package Manager. But it sounds like you're doing some stuff with automation and Swift Package Manager Mm -hmm. and using the argument parser package, which I talked about last year in one of my talks. What have you found really powerful with it? It makes building command line apps super easy. And if I combine that with another package called Shell Out by John Sundell, then I can use that to glue together shell scripts, essentially, and build shell scripts without having to write Bash. And Bash sucks. It's super hard to work with. And so like that feels like it gives me superpowers in some ways, because I can integrate everything I know about Swift and how to work with Swift on, on my day-to-day basis. And I get all the power from bash scripts and and using the shell to do whatever it is that I need to do. It's really, really good. Yeah. I've used the shell out quite a bit by John. And like you said, it's a lot of like environment variables and things you don't have access to if you're going to run through process Mm -hmm. uh, or process info. And like, he's made that a lot easier. I did, like I said, I did a talk last year on argument parser and it's one of my favorite automated like tools out there. What it does is it brings Things like Codable and some of the new stuff with property mm-hmm. wrappers and SwiftUI over 
uh, to the command line. And it just makes it a lot easier to do really build like robust command line interfaces. Yeah, you just build out your struct that is a command and implement uh, run, it just works. And if you give it the wrong arguments, it prints out a super helpful help description of here's how you actually use this thing. Like, it gives you everything you need to make a really amazing command line tool. Have you used it with uh, Swift SH before? I no, because I think like I just don't use Swift SH as much as I used to now that we can build executables pretty easily. Yeah, I get that. I went down the path of using Swift SH. When I was helping Dave Error with some Swift package validation for Swift package index. Mm-hmm. And then I ended up saying, screw this, I'm just going to build an executable. <laughs> and I think like it was a tool of its time, but I think now it's just so much easier to just like write an executable and compile it, I guess, or even just run Swift, Swift run. Well, Swift SH does that, but just under the covers, right? It still gives you the executable, it still gives you the Swift package at the end of the day, but all you have to check in is your one file, not as opposed to like the entire right. structure of a package. So if you just right. want one script. You no, know, that makes total sense. Because I think if you if you have something fairly simple and you can just put it all in one file, yeah. then it makes total sense. Yeah, totally. It, if it's going to get bigger and merit multiple files, then absolutely make a package out of it. But if you just want one script file, then it works really well. And it works really well with argument parser. Yeah, it's super good. Yeah, totally. And I think that was the situation I ran into is my file was getting a bit long. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's why it's got the helpful eject command because you can eject it in eject your script into a package and it'll just give you a where you used to have one Swift file to give you the folder of your Swift package with a proper manifest and everything. That's awesome. Yeah, it's a really powerful tool. I highly recommend people check it out. What other tools have you used uh, when it comes to automation? I think the the big thing that I've used, like I mentioned before, is is make files. And make files are like this kind of product of the older era and older generation to do build systems. And all of my commands start with phony at the top. This is another trick I learned at Lyft. But you can use these commands where you do type make and then they call them rules, make and then some rule and then a colon. And then you just got like a little script you can embed in line to call other scripts, to call other tools. And everything after the colon on the same line are other rules that make will invoke to before actually calling your script. So, for instance, to make our project through Tuist uh, at Zulily, we have a command called make project. And that will then ensure that stuff like Tuus is installed and configured properly. We have a, a follow-up script that's written in Swift SH. So I make sure that Swift SH is installed and configured. And that way, once you get to the part where you're generating your project and running your cleanup script, everything is already done for you. You can chain those those commands together to make some really powerful automations, and it's really nice. Yeah, I think a lot of folks think make files are just for your C or C plus plus project, but it's really about like managing a hundred dependencies. Yeah, and running the commands in the correct order. That's the way I see it, and that's yeah, I'm in the same boat where I've found myself kind of like. You know what would be really good is a make file because then I don't have to like I don't have to manage <laughs> all these dependencies and things like that. So yeah, that's that's awesome. Yeah, I can't tell. So I know that Ruby has a uh, rake, which is their like Ruby equivalent of make, I think. Mm-hmm. And that probably has less of the this is for C folks kind of stigma than make files do. I've kind of wanted to make one in Swift that I would call Saki because 
add the substitute the s for the m, the m for the s and there you go uh, gotcha. and then you have your your sake file <laughs> <laughs> it's like i've got the branding all there i just haven't actually written the thing yet <laughs> that's so, it's so funny you're talking about branding like i feel like that's almost the funnest part is like trying to come up with names for some of these projects <laughs> it's like okay is the domain available what has to do with swift uh yeah i'll replace the, the m with the s yeah well, uh, what's the other project I was working on? Soto uh, was the same story. Like they replaced Bodo, I think was either the Go or the Ruby thing for AWS. Mm. And they replaced it with an S for Soto <laughs> for Swift. And I was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> I didn't know that that was the origin of that. That's yeah, funny. yeah. Yeah, we talked about it in a previous episode. And luckily, uh, they, the, uh, Adam followed up and, uh, and uh, <laughs> let me know on Twitter. <laughs> So one of the big challenges with automation, it kind of gets to cost. I've obviously found a way around it by using my old Mac, but like to do a lot of this stuff, you need Mac OS. Yeah. What, how do you get around that? I guess, do you just find your own Mac? Have you ever worked with something like Mac Stadium or like, what, what have you seen as like some of the big challenges with requiring Mac OS essentially? Yeah, I, I would love to have work, to work with Mac Stadium or some co-located Mac host someday. Uh, I know Amazon has rolled out their Macs uh, in AWS that are really expensive, but it's a good option for like bare metal, especially if you've already got AWS in your organization. Right. At Zulily, we host two Mac minis at the moment. One's a 2014 that runs our Jenkins server and one's a 2018 that's uh, our runner. And another one of the automation projects I have ahead of me is to make uh, some Ansible playbooks so that I can, we can have the, the Mac, the runner configured as we want to, and then expand that fleet to add a couple uh, more. Take, take a step back. Cause I don't know what that means. What's Ansible. Oh, Ansible. There are tools like that. Another one I've heard of is chef. Yep. I haven't used either one full dis- yet, full disclosure. So I don't know how this is all going to play out, but the idea is that you can have one central repository that defines like what macOS version are you running? What Xcode version are you running? What's your environment overall configured? And then apply that to a fleet of machines. Gotcha. So as, as Xcode 12.5 beta next rolls out, we could add that to our Ansible playbook, roll it out to our Mac minis, and it will download, unzip, and move Xcode beta into the proper place automatically. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm looking forward to getting that done. But we host those Mac minis uh, in our our building at Zulily. Personally, while I'm setting things up in my environment, like with Fastlane to do automation, and I've got another Mac mini at home that can do some of that continuous integration kind of work, I haven't gone through the actual process of saying, I'm going to set up like one I push to main, my Mac mini will make a new build and get push it to test flight automatically. Like I haven't gotten that part wired up yet. But the plumbing is largely in place once I do get to the point where I can invest that time. Yeah. Um, one of the powerful things I've found is using Fastlane Match yep. to manage the certificates. And like that was a big help. But yeah, like with a lot of these things with Git, GitLab Runner, it's just not super easy to get set up on Mac OS. And also you run into the issue of like you can't do like Docker. Mm-hmm. Um, I did find like a Docker OSX project I want to play around with when I have huh. spare time, whenever that happens, I'll provide the link to the show. notes. How does that work? Yeah. I'd be really curious about that because what I've found is that somebody who builds Mac apps is I don't have the ability to reset simulator. 
And if you know what I mean, I can't just go like, oh, like here, Xcode, try this out on on Catalina. Here, try this out on Big Sur. Whereas with iOS, we just have this nice ability of just like getting any model iPhone and just testing it oh, out. Oh yeah, you know. And I that's one of the biggest challenges with Mac OS development is not having that ability to test different environments. Yeah, I guess that's where I'm at this point somewhat fortunate in that like my Mac app is brand new. And so I'm just building it against Big Sur and I don't have to worry about backwards compatibility yet. <laughs> oh, I'm in the same boat. Yeah, like that's what I'm doing. I'm doing like SwiftUI documents. So like, yeah, sorry. It's only going to work oh. on Big Sur. Deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I I don't know what the alternative for like supporting old Mac uh, versions is beyond either somehow automate like VMware uh, virtualized instances, which is going to be super slow because Mac OS has never been virtualized well. Right, right. Or just keep a, like find old machines on eBay <laughs> or Craigslist or whatever and just keep old Macs with old versions. Yep, that's exactly what it is, yeah. I mean, if you're that serious about supporting old versions, you probably could spend the money on it. Yeah, totally. Like, But yeah, there's no easy way to do it. Maybe... Who knows? Maybe uh, like with the M1s, they can make that easier. I don't know. Not bit, not with like Catalina, but at least like Big Sur going forward. Maybe they can be like, oh yeah, we can we can run a virtual Mac OS environment for Big Sur, you know, in five years or something like that. Because you essentially can run like an iPhone app. So I'd assume it's like kind of the same idea. Like I don't know. I mean, you're still needing to virtualize older versions of Mac OS, and and they did add the yeah. the hypervisor framework fairly recently. Yes. Um, so maybe that yes. that could unlock something there as well. I don't I don't know. Then there's the licensing thing. Yeah. Like Apple doesn't want to license Mac OS for running in lots of different environments like that. So maybe this is another like pie in the sky thing, but that is something that comes of the Buddy Build acquisition, which Buddy Build's getting shut down as a CI provider pretty soon. And I think there's some hope that's gonna that those mean something in a few months yeah exactly that those flowers will die and the, the seeds that remain will will flower their new uh, apple ci system which would be pretty cool to see what they come up with yeah exactly kind of like that workflow ideal right yeah it becomes shortcuts and it's amazing yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well jared i want to continue this conversation but i think you want to ask me some more questions about a swift package manager sure and automation and server side stuff <laughs> okay okay so where can people find your podcast yeah i run the xcoders community podcast you can find that at xcoders.org and that's uh representing the seattle redmond and vancouver xcoder developer groups Cool. So we'll post a link to this next part of the episode on Xcoders in the show notes below. Uh, thank you so much, Jared, for coming on. Where can people find you online? Yeah, I'm on Twitter at jsorge. Uh, my website is jsorge.net. Awesome. So people can look in the show notes if they want to hear the rest of this conversation on Xcoders. I'm going to be talking more about Vapor, server-side development automation, Swift Package Manager, and tool automation, things like that. So you definitely want to check that next part in the show notes. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode. If you really enjoyed it, love for you to take some time and post a review to Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Spotify, or Amazon. People can find me on Twitter at LeoGDN. My company is Bright Digit. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode. And I look forward to listening to the next part of this conversation on Xcoders. Thanks, Leo. Thank you.